So uh, the last service, uh, I stood here pretty much alone. Um, Sean is sheltered in his little booth there, and uh, Kathy has gone off to vacation. Uh, her and her family are driving to Chicago to go to a family reunion, and uh, Ross uh, was at annual conference, and then from there drove to Carlsbad to, to do a wedding. Not that he doesn't want to do weddings, but he wanted to really do this wedding. And last I had heard was that they were going to spend the night in Carlsbad and come in later today, kind of a, uh, take a slower take on to Father's Day. And uh, he got up early, and here he is, and so now I'm not so alone. As you can see, my wife has abandoned me somewhere, so. <laughs> but uh, Mary Ann Schantz, you know, she, she and Jay went up to camp, and, you know, uh, thankfully all these people are getting a, a little respite because the respite is nice, and, and uh, you know, thanks to our, our pastor that he gets some time away. And this was annual conference, and it's, uh, it was a crazy time, and I'm sure that we'll hear news from uh, Leslie Templeton and Jim Maxson are, are delegates to conference and from Ross too as well. It seemed online that it was kind of an interesting week. But uh, so we're, we're here I am on Father's Day and I think this is like the sixth time on, on Father's Day that I've, I've delivered a message. And I wanted to deliver something a little bit tougher, a little bit rougher. And um, I had time to think about this and it's kind of funny how this this all worked out. Uh, I had something happen to me this week. Uh, happened to Sarah and I that that uh, in the end, um, what I preach today uh, is kind of poignant, at least for us. And so uh, we're in the the second week of the sermon series that we call the summer summers series that we call uh, traveling through the Bible. And uh, Ross took us to the Valley of Ella, which is in between Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee. And I'm going to take you to a same place, uh, not, not to the same place, but a, a place nearby that is in between Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to take you to Samaria. Uh, you know, the, the thing with, with men is that sometimes we just jump in the car and we go headlong. And it's a lot easier nowadays because you got a phone and you can punch in where you're wanting to go. And, and there you go, you know, the, you know, turn right at the next road and your watch, you know, vibrates and tells you to turn right and all that kind of stuff and everything. But, but Ross, you know, he started to soften this sermon series with no map, no way of where it was that we were going or whatnot. What road are we on? And, and, you know, we just, you know, there, there we go blindly. We just go. So I'm here to tell you that, you know, like to, I, I want you to hearken yourselves back to the time where like way back, and, and this is a, for most of the older folks in the room, where you would get a map much like this, and you would fold it out. Well, you're sitting in the back seat, yeah, you're, and your mom's in the passenger seat, and your dad's like yelling at her, like, I know where we're going, and your mom's got to like open up the whole thing like this. Because she's arguing that, you know, like, I got to see the whole map of, like, where we've been and where we're going. And your dad's like, I can't see down out the windshield because it's like this, you know. And your dad's like, you know, kind of like. And then your mom, like, okay, you know, this is like, you got to go down this road like 100 miles and blah, blah, blah. And then you're going to go down another road. And then, then she can't fold it. Remember that? 
you know, can't, well, I'm going to show you how to fold it. But this is not how your mom folded it. Your mom would toss it in the back seat and say, this should keep them occupied for at least another hour or two as you folded it, because you were always asking the question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Well, to get you ready for uh, today's sermon, I have to be honest with you. I need to irk your ire. I need to raise the cackles on the back of your neck. I need to upset you. I need to make you angry. And to do that, please watch this clip from uh, Spike Lee's movie, Do the Right Thing. Dago Wab, Guinea, Garlic Breath, Pizza Slinging, Spaghetti Bending, Vic Damone, Perry Como, Luchado Pavarotti, Solo Meal, Non Singer Muff. Gold teeth, gold chain wearing fried chicken and biscuit eating monkey, ate baboon, big guy, fast running, high jumping spear chucking, 360 degree basketball dunking, titsoon spade mulling yarn. You little slanty eyed, me no speaky American, own every fruit and vegetable stand in New York. Bull Reverend Sun Young Moon, some Olympic 88 Korean kickboxing Sabadam bit. You Goya Bean eating 15 in a car, 30 in an apartment, pointy shoes, red wearing, Menudo, Mita Mita, Puerto Rico. Yeah, you! It's cheap. I got good price for you. Now catch it. How I'm doing? Chocolate, egg cream drinking, bagel and deluxe, banana for this Jew. Yo! Hold up! Time out! Time out! Y'all take a chill. You need to cool out. And that's the double truth, Ruth. In Spike Lee's movie, uh, I think it was about like 1991, 1990s, somewhere around there, uh, Do the Right Thing. It is a hot day in New York. The sweat is like just forming on everybody. There's no air conditioning to be found anywhere. And people are upset. They're mad at each other. They're mad at all the groups. And, they, and on this particular day, everything that they can think bad about the next group and the next group and the next group and the next group, it comes out in this movie. The movie ends with a, a riot at the pizzeria. The last Italian vestige in what was an Italian neighborhood. People are upset that the Koreans own all of the bodegas in New York, and that's the only place that you can buy groceries, and the prices are too high. And they don't have 20D batteries to run your big boombox. I wanted to irk your ire to some extent because I know that we come here as refuge from the ire that's irked from the cackles that are raised on the back of our neck out there. But see, I love the idea. I, I am so like, oh, I'm wrapped up in this. Like why preachers aren't preaching this more often, I just don't get it but I am so wrapped up in what Ross has taught us and teaches us that this place is a gym, that we come here, that I come here to get my soul stretched, pushed, pulled by God, to be enveloped by the Holy Spirit, to sweat my soul out, 
to practice in here what I'm going to do out there. See, it's not about coming here. It's about coming here to, to sweat so that I can do it out there. So I can confess to others better. So I can affirm better. But to some extent, I want you to stay mad right now in this moment because I want you to get in tune with another group of people. And to do that, let me read from you, read to you from uh, John 4. I'll be uh, in the Seatback Bible, uh, page 1048, if you want to join me. And I will be reading from John chapter 4 uh, through verse 17. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his, and his cattle enjoyed? And Jesus replied, People soon became thirsty again after drinking this water. But the water I give them takes away their thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, living, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to haul water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. There's two things I need to share with you. The first is, is that uh, as I deliver this sermon to you, there's a particular word that I want to use. It begins with A and ends with E. We're all familiar with this word. because we But this church... And I can't say that word. So I'm going to use the word jerk a lot. But when I say jerk, I mean this other word. Okay? Second, um, every time I go into a historical portion of the Bible, and I want to talk about and emphasize an historical place, I spend the time to kind of research what is going on in that place, where is that place, uh, what's going on in the world, so that I can better put myself in that context and time and understand what is going on. Samaria is the place that I'm talking about today. Samaria is between Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee. 
Samaria is actually in the upper kingdom, and Jerusalem is in Judea, the lower kingdom. And at some point in time, for whatever reason it is, these two entities split. Modern-day Samaria is what we know as the West Bank. It's mostly situated in the West Bank and towards the north, towards Syria. Samaritans still exist today. There is a group of people who call themselves Samaritans and can trace their roots all the way back. They can trace their roots back to the tribes of Ephraim and uh, Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph, two of the sons of Joseph. And they can also tie themselves back to the Levites. We know the Levites as those who took the Ten Commandments and extrapolated them out into 636 or 663 or 6,000 and something different rules of the Bible. I exaggerate, of course. The, the modern-day Samaritans are adherents of Samaritism, a religion closely related to Judaism. And Samaritans believe that their worship which is based on the Samaritan Pentarch, is the true Jewish religion. That's the true religion of God. They feel that the ancient Israelites, the ancient Jews, who were cast off to Babylon to become slaves, lost their way and no longer held on to the truest of traditions. So that is piece one into a multi-layered cake of hatred between Jews and Samaritans. The, Mount, uh, the Samaritans also believe that Mount Gerizim was, is the original holy place of Israel and not Mount Zion. And so this is the second piece of this layered cake of hatred between Jews and Samaritan. And this is not modern. This is dating back like thousands of years. According to the Samaritan tradition, the split between them and the Judean southern Israelites began during the time of the priest Eli, when the southern Israelites split off from the central Israelite tradition as they perceive it. Feelings of ill will probably went back before the separation of the northern and southern Jewish kingdoms. Even then, there was lack of unity between the tribes of Jacob. And after the separation of Judea and Israel in the 9th century BC, King Omri uh, the northern kingdom, bought the hill of Samaria from Shamir. He built there the city of Samaria, which became the capital, and it was a strong defensively controlled city. It is in the valley between Jerusalem and Galilee. In 7, uh, 722 BC, the city fell to the Assyrians, and the Samaritans became slaves to the Assyrians. Some were shipped off deeper into the Assyrian kingdom, and others were left behind to farm and to become slaves and do whatever. And that's where those who were left behind, that they are the ancestors to modern day Samaritans. They, intermar they intermarried, just much like the Jews did when they were in Babylon, they intermarried. But they believe that their bloodline is truer, is purer than their, I guess, Babylonian Jewish cousins. They did a, a genetic study. Samaritans and Jews are more uh, bloodline related than they like to think. 
And so one thinks themselves pure and the other one thinks themselves pure. And again, we add another layer to the cake of hatred. Those Samaritans were condemned by Jews. They probably had as much pure blood. I just made that point. When Cyrus permitted the Jews to return from Babylonian exile, the Samaritans were ready to welcome them back. The exiles, however, despised the Samaritans and viewed them as renegades, viewed them as the reason as to why they were held captive. The Samaritans wanted to help in rebuilding the temple, but Nehemiah said no. And so they went off to build their own temple, uh, and Nehemiah uh, was very upset about this because Eli, who was the grandson of the Jewish temple leader, married a Samaritan woman, and Nehemiah casted him out and told him that he was unpure and because he married this woman, and so he becomes the temple leader in Samaria. The layers get thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. The biggest is probably in 108 BC, the Samaritans allied themselves with the uh, Seleucids against the Maccabeans. And then right about the time that Jesus was born, the Samaritans came, snuck in to the temple in Jerusalem and defiled it with bones in the temple. Jews hate Samaritans and Samaritans hate Jews. Just like in the movie clip that we saw, the blacks hate the Italians, the Italians hate the Puerto Ricans, the Puerto Ricans hate the cops, the cops hate the the Koreans. It goes on and on. Many of us in this room right now feel a hatred towards somebody, some jerk. Jerks. They seem to be everywhere recently. You can't watch TV without seeing several jerks. You can't drive down the road without encountering several jerks. You can't pick up the newspaper without reading about several jerks. And you can't go into the voting booth without trying to pick several jerks. Jerks are everywhere. See, in the Jews versus Samaritans, both groups are being jerks. Both think that they are right and that they know the rules. Both think that they are pure. Both think that they know the history and both think that they know the way and the place. This past week, though I had thought about this for about a week and a half, what it was that I was going to preach, it came kind of crashing down on me on Thursday where I encountered a jerk. And then my idea for the road to Samaria just changed for me. See, my jerk thought that they were right, and my jerk thought that they knew the rules. My jerk thought that they were pure, and my jerk thought that they were preserving the history. My jerk thought that they knew the way, and my jerk thought that they knew the place. Mind you, I too thought I was right and knew the rules, that I was pure in my intentions, that I knew the history of the place, that I knew the way, and I knew where the place to be. One interpretation of John 4 
and Jesus at the well is that he reveals himself as the Messiah. It's the most traditional sermon that I've ever heard preached. See, it's in this moment that Jesus kind of, to some extent, makes himself public. And wow, what a public thing that he does to a Sumerian woman, a Samaritan. You are not supposed to like the other side. But then he shows himself to be bigger, that our God is bigger, that our God is greater, that our God is more gracious. And so he reveals himself to a Samaritan. But today, I offer a different argument. I don't think that's exactly what Jesus was doing in that moment. He's offering her living water, of course. And that living water that he's offering her is salvation. And for some of us, we, we kind of, um, oh, it, it doesn't fit that word, salvation. But what he's really offering her is love and forgiveness. See, it's, that's the most important thing. He's loving her in the moment and he's forgiving her and she doesn't even know it. See, in the moment that we are harmed by jerks in whatever way that it is, we become connected to that harm. We become chained to it. And in this chain of connection, we then want to retaliate. We want revenge but maybe hanging on, holding on to this anger doesn't combat the evil that we think it will. Maybe it feeds the evil as we hang on to it. See, if we don't forget jerks, we risk taking on all of what it means to be a jerk. By holding on to all of their negativity, we risk becoming jerks ourselves. We risk becoming a tool of the enemy by living into being and or harmed by jerks. We risk absorbing the worst of our enemy and maybe even then start to become them. You may say that forgiving jerks may make us weak, but I would argue that those who forgive are using bolt cutters to cut themselves away from becoming jerks big. It's huge. And it's hard. Some preachers of the past have stood here in this place or stood in a place much like this to say that you must go up to your jerk and forgive them. that that is the only way that you can uh, step back away and move on with your life from the jerk. But I would argue to say this, that you don't have to physically go in front of your jerk and forgive them. You can create your own space, your own place, your own time to face your jerk 
and to forgive them and to pull out the bolt cutters and cut the chain that ties you with that jerk. Forgiving and letting go makes us free people, people living in freedom. And freedom people are awesome people. And freedom people are dangerous people. Because freedom people are not chained to the past. Freedom people laugh more than others. Freedom people see beauty where others don't. Freedom people are not easily offended. And freedom people are unafraid. Freedom people speak truth to the stupid and to jerks. And freedom people are not chained to resentments. And this is what Jesus is offering to the woman at the well. Because I think she comes to him as a jerk. And he wants to cut the chains that wrap her and that bind her. And he wants to set her free. Freedom from jerks. The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as far and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I should be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in the wood. And I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference.